Welcome. Thank you for joining us today on the Kingdom Conversations podcast. We are excited to bring to you testimonies and kingdom insights from apostolic leaders across the country. If you haven't already, please like, comment, and subscribe. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, leave us a review with any suggested topics you may have for future episodes. Let's jump in. Welcome to another episode of Kingdom Conversations. Today's uh, guest, we have Michael Wright, or better yet, known as Big Mike. Big Mike. We are here at the Arkansas Campgrounds. Uh, Big Mike is the assistant pastor at Christian Life Center in Centerton, Arkansas. And I have the privilege, Devin and I both have the privilege of being able to call him friend. Absolutely. Uh, we've also got new co-host here with us, Jasher Henderson, new member of uh, New Life Church in Scott. And then we've, uh, as always, got the infamous Devin Connor with us. Notorious. Notorious. <laughs> um, today, Mike, we just want to know a little bit about your testimony. Tell us in as however many words you want to, man. Talk to us from the Spirit of your life. Tell us a little bit about your testimony from childhood. Let's, let's, let's first do childhood all the way up until you were born again. Okay. Okay. Who, who is big Mike before he was born again? <laughs> That's a man. I sit, when I sit back and think about that guy, <laughs> I, it brings back a lot of emotion and, and a lot of thankfulness to where I'm at today in my life. Um, so let's start, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm still pretty young. Yeah. I'm 30 now. I can't believe it. Young man. <laughs> so um, I'm originally, I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana. That's where I started. Hallelujah. I know my family uh, grew up Muslim. Really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So we were, they were Muslims, pretty hardcore, because of my grandpa. Wow. And then uh, after he got, my grandpa got murdered. Uh, the family fell away from religion as a whole. So I didn't grow up at all really in religion, in, in anything. I say religion, but, you know, I'm just using that for context. And uh, so my mom was, uh, and I want to get this clear first. Me and my mom have a great relationship now. Uh, but there was one point in time we couldn't even be in the same room together. But because of the grace and the mercy of God, and, you know, where guys brought me from, we have a great relationship. Amen. I say that because, you know, and we had this conversation. We, I, we had to have this conversation on why I had so much anger and so much bitterness towards her. So, but going back to that, my mom was very, and, and being who I am now, I understand why she was the way she was. She was really young. She was a very young mother. She had me, she was pregnant with me at 16, had me at 17. But when you're a child, you don't understand that. You just see mom. You don't understand that they're growing up just as much as you're growing up. Yeah. yeah. You know? And my mom was in the streets, bro. <laughs> my mom was a my mom was hood. <laughs> I'm being serious. <laughs> so what that but she was very tough. She was very she was a single mom. And that comes with a lot. You know, she was she was trying to live her whole life, but yet now she has this child that she has to take care of. And so while she was trying to balance that and live her life, she took a lot of that anger out on me. But me not understanding what's going on, I just see abuse. Yeah. Which don't get me wrong, it was a form of abuse. Yeah. A lot of neglect. On her part. On her part. Right. Because she was upset. She has to take care of a child. 
but you know, thank God she had me, right? She didn't just yeah. abort me. Amen. You know, so I'm here for that. Yeah. Because of that, right? So, but she was growing up. You know, she couldn't do things anymore. It was frustrating to her. But now, you know, so I grew up in a very abusive home. It was very abusive. Uh, she used to smack me in the face with all kind of crazy stuff. And um, so growing up, and then later on in life, she decided to get married to this this wacko of a guy. Uh, he was a drunk. He was an alcoholic. And uh, he was around for a long time. Uh, but he was very abusive to me. He treated me like they're saying the red-headed stepchild. And he was drunk all the time. He didn't like me because I wasn't his child. And he definitely let me know. And he definitely showed it. Like, a few examples of mine that I have is, like, one time he was he was just mad for no reason. And he used to drink those 40s. <laughs> that's, that's an old school alcoholic drink right there. The 40s, bro. So uh, he had it in the cup for some particular reason. And he took that 40. And he was mad at my mom or something. I, can't remember, I don't know why he was mad. And he took that 40, bro, and he dumped it all on me and punched me in my face and then put me in the corner. Told me I can't move until you tell until he tells me to move. Wow. Uh one time, just for no reason at all, I don't understand. Like I'm I still like I want to sit down and ask him why he did it. Uh one day he just turned around and just started punching me in the face. So it was in a car. Then he called the police on me and told the police that I was the crazy one. Yeah. And now I'm sitting there crying. I'm 10 years old crying. Wow. I'm like, bro, what do you mean I'm a crazy one? You just started punching me in the face for no reason. Mm. Like, this, this dude was terrible of a human being. Uh, he went to, this is, I can't believe the school even allowed this to happen. He came to my school one day. And I'm, I'm in fifth grade. He came to the school and brought me in front of the whole class and told the whole class how a dummy I was. So every day in my life growing up with them, I was told I was never going to be anything. I was retarded. I never was going to accomplish anything. And I was fat, stupid, and dumb. Wow. They told me that a lot of my life. And, and when you grow up as a child, you believe that. Yeah. You know? So not just the physical side of the abuse, there was the emotional side of the abuse. And then you also have, you know, when you're dealing with that neglect of, of why no one loves you as a child, that's hard. Yeah. I mean, especially they've fed, fed you all these negative words of, uh, to your character, who you are as a person. I mean, that's, you're going to grow up thinking that's who you are for the rest of your life. Right. And I showed out in school because of that. Yeah. I was bad. I was a bully. I was hurt. I was broken. You know, and, and a lot of people don't understand. They didn't understand that. Like, why does this kid act the way? No one never sat down and asked me, you know, how was your home life? They just said, oh, you're a terrible kid. So the, the school labeled me. The school tried to put me in special ed because, you know, based off what he was saying and based off my performance, but I never tested to be in special ed because I wasn't stupid. I wasn't dumb. Yeah. It was just it's what I was told. Yeah. yeah. And then growing up in the environment that we grew up in, you're told you're only going to be able to do two things in life. You can either be a rapper or you can make it in sports. That's the only two options that they gave us. They never tell us, you know, you could be a doctor, you could be a lawyer, you know, you could be a preacher, all these different things like that. He said, you could rap, work at McDonald's, or play play sports. Yeah. So you're saying that was in your community, in yes, your school? My community, my school. Wow. And just how we were raised that way. So um at the age of four at the age of twelve, I tried to hang myself. 
Uh, at that time, I had a brother and a sister, and it just got worse when they came along because he definitely showed them the favoritism. Uh, you can call some of my family members and ask them about this one here. So he used to keep me locked up in the room all the time. Uh, it, it was crazy. And he would feed me once a day, and I had three bathroom breaks. Bro, it was ridiculous, bro. And if I used my third bathroom break before it was time, like, he, bro, I would get, like, suplex, bro. Like, this dude was, this, and let me tell you, this is not a small man. Like, he was 6'3", mm. like, about 2, I'd say 220, 230. Like, this is a big dude, like. And so, one time, he cooked food for everybody. He had my brother and sister go in the room and have dinner with him at the table. And he fixed me a sandwich. And let told me and go and put me in the room and say, you're lucky you got that. Wow. Like, so that's kind of how I grew up in, in that little neighborhood. So at age 12, I was like, dude, I'm done with this, bro. Like, no one cares about me. No one loves me. So I was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hang myself. And so I made a rope, you know, about to hang myself. And me and my mom talked about this, and she told me I'm lying. But, bro, I, and I can say this here because, you know, y'all men of faith, and the people who listen to this will be people of faith. Bro, I really 100% believe God sent the angel in my room yeah. to save me. Because when I was hanging myself, my mom showed up and was like, hey, Mike, what are you doing? You need to stop that right now. Mm. And it, it freaked me out. And I jumped out and said, oh, mom, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I ran out the room. And my mom wasn't even there. My goodness. And when we talked about that, she said, I never showed up in that room. You never tried to do it. I said, Mom, you're crazy. I tried to hang myself, bro. Like, you stopped me. She's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And, man, and I still get goosebumps when I tell that story. Yeah. Because I was, I was trying to end it that. I was done with life at 12. So then um, I had a growth spurt. You know, it happens. And, uh, <laughs> you, went, you, you went from Mike to Big Mike. Yeah, I went from Mike <laughs> to Big Mike. <laughs> And so uh, they didn't want me to play football. Uh, around that time, my, my stepdad, he event, no, because he was still around. Um, they didn't want me to play football, but I, I was sneaking to play football because I was like, I got to figure something out. One, to get all this anger and aggression out. And two, this is my way out of here. So um, I was, you know, sneaking behind the scenes to play football. And so I, I started getting big. <laughs> Seriously, I started getting big. And me and my brother, we do what brothers do. We're cleaning the room because we share the room and we're arguing. And I was like, no, nah, bro, put the shoes in the closet, like I said. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and then we duke it out. We're brothers. And don't get me wrong. I didn't hit him hard. He was my little brother, you know. But <laughs> we were just, I was just trying to get my point across. And uh, But then he stepped in. And he was like, you're not going to talk to my son like that. You're not going to put your hands on my son. So he just welled up and he punched me in my face. And I said... I got hit in the face so much, I just took the lick. And I was like, bro, you hit me one more time. We go, I'm, I'm done with this. So we started scrapping. Now, I'm not going to say I won because <laughs> he was a big dude. But we was doing, throwing blows. I'm 14. Yeah, I'm 14 years old at this time. And we're going at it. Then he was like, uh, he told my mom, you need to get your son. You need to get your son. So uh, when uh, then my mom, she grabbed me by my throat. And I was like, Mom, I'm just tired of y'all treating me like this. Like, please stop. Like, we could have a conversation. Yeah. Let's talk. Like, stop hitting me. Like, this is getting old. And uh, so 
she did what she always do. She tried to hit me. And like I said, I started playing football. So I learned how to start dodging. So I dodged her and then I shoved her shoulder. And I was like, look, Ma, just please stop hitting me. Let's talk. And so then she went off and said, oh, you hit me. And so then she threw me out the house. So at 14 years old, my mom put me out and I was on the streets. And that's how I got into the streets. That's how the streets started raising me. And that's when I got introduced into uh, selling drugs. And, uh, and it's crazy. So I watched my stepdad be, uh, I was, well, I guess stepdad by, you know, because he was married to my mom. I watched him do a lot of drinking and stuff. So I didn't really care for it. I never really tried it. I did later on in life. But, uh, but as I was growing up in the streets, I was like, I didn't care for it. But um, I lived with my grandma. When I, my mom put me out, I was on the street for, streets for a couple of days. So then uh, I stole somebody's bicycle when I ran to my grandma's house. And so she told me, she said, grandson, I will give you a place to live, but you got to defend for yourself, you know, because she's, she's old, you know, at the time. So um, that's when, and all my cousins were in the streets selling drugs. So I ended up follow the suit. Now I'm not going to say I was like a big time pusher because I'd be lying. I did. I saw a little weed here and there, you know, like I dabbed in a little bit. You know, grandma used to, um, grandma had a lot of medicine, a lot of pills and stuff she took because she was in pain a lot. So we used to steal grandma, you know, medicine. And, uh, <laughs> bro, I used I used to sell all kinds of stuff to those people, bro. One time I sold heart medicine to one of those guys. They had no idea what I was selling. To and I didn't care. I was just trying to get some money. Yeah. Mike's either sold or taken all of his grandmother's pain killers, and she's over there on the couch and like screaming to death. Where's my medicine? She had an abundance, bro. She had an abundance. Mm. So then my other cousin, uh, my cousin ended up moving in with us too as well. He was having some trouble at home. So now I got a partner in crime with me. Man, we used to get in so much trouble, bro. We used to go steal my grandma. See, my grandma was funny. You could turn the channel and she'll wake up and say, hey, what are you doing? Don't touch my TV. But when I used to go in and sneak our car keys, she never woke up. <laughs> I'm, that's a serious story. I was, I always thought that was so funny. So we used to steal my grandma's car, go sneak out, do some funny, crazy stuff. And, you know, making a couple of drug sales here and there. And then I got involved into football more. And then uh, now I'm living a double life, right? Because I got to prove myself to the coach that, hey, I am a good guy. And then, but on the streets, I still had to do what I needed to do so I could get food and stuff. So, I, and I don't get me wrong, I understand selling drugs and all that stuff is definitely frowned upon. But sometimes when you in a certain environment, that's all you're taught and that's all you know. Yeah. And when you're at a certain age group, you know, you're like, okay, how can I provide for myself? And they make that so accessible at that time. I know we're in 2023, but it was different back then. So they made it so accessible for, hey, little man, you want to do this, you know? And, and it made it simple. It was a simple fix for me to eat. Mm. And don't get me wrong. I, I understand it's frowned upon, but that was the way I, I, I ate at the time. Because, man, when you go to school, you know, I had the same beat-up clothes on for years, and people start laughing at you. And, you know, you already have the identity crisis because now – you know, I'm 14 years old. My mom put me out the house. I come from an abusive background. And, you know, I'm asking people for dollars and stuff at school so I can eat. But the kids don't understand that stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know? And it's like, oh, here comes Mike. He's about to bang me again. Everybody run. You know? And, 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 it, and it hurt. And here's another thing that got me. I didn't meet my father until I was 17. I remember a glimpse of him when I was a kid, but he wasn't really around. I, mean, I found my dad on Facebook. 
<laughs> That's crazy. Wow. So, but it was hurting sometimes when uh, like we'd be in the locker room and we'll lose a football game, and then uh, people, parents will come in and their dad would be sitting there patting them on the back, and I'm sitting in my locker crying, saying, yeah. "Man, where's my dad? Mm. Where's my people at? I would never had nobody there to support me in that aspect of life. It was." Shut up and get over it. Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's not the that's not the cards of life you was dealt. You know, and so growing up hard, tough, it, and and it really gave me. And that's how I developed the quick attitude, learn how to survive. You know, don't take no stuff from nobody, and that makes you a hard, messed up person. I mean, you, this was still fourteen, fifteen. Yeah, years this old. fourteen, fifteen years old. I mean, in, in, in some world, I'd commend, you know, yeah, it's frowned upon selling drugs and things like that. But at that age and you having recognition of what your parents are doing to yourself, I mean, people like you and other people in your shoes, I mean, I kind of commend you for doing what is necessary to make ends meet. Like you're, I mean, there's a lot of men that maybe in their 20s still still living with their parents and don't want to get a job so i mean for a 14 and 15 year old to an extent i commend yeah. young men to i mean yes i don't condone I don't you going it. to get you know doing drugs or anything like that but at 14 and 15 years old that's the last thing i was thinking about was trying to make it on my own yeah and I, obviously i wasn't necessarily forced uh but uh i mean for a 14 and 15 year old to say hey i know you know, you you may not have even known how to get a job or things like that, but you knew that you needed money. Yeah. And you knew that somewhere in your heart, I, if my grandmother is allowing me to live with her, mm-hmm. I, I need to make my own money. Yeah. Now, obviously, like I said, we don't condone doing that. Kind I don't of condone drugs, doing that. I would never lead nobody that way. But, but you knew what needed to be done for a 14, 15-year-old with what was going on in your life. Yeah. You knew you needed to make money. And... You know, and we all dealt, uh, you know, we all dealt the cards of life differently, you know, and it's just so happened. This was my cards and I had to play to my best of my ability. Now, was it all bad? I'm not going to sit here and lie. No, I had some really, I had fun, you know, I still had some fun. And then uh, definitely, you know, I used to coach a little peewee football, stuff like that. I just love the game. So um, now we're going to get to the fun part, okay? <laughs> now we're going to get to the fun part. So here... It was my grandma passed in 2011. So, uh, and then when I realized I wasn't going anywhere in football, I decided to start drinking then. And I didn't like it because I like to be in control of everything. <laughs> when you're drunk, you're not in control of nothing. <laughs> so, uh, it's 2012, and the world was supposed to end because the mind, like, the wizard, the man, the mind, the mind, the ran out. Remember that? Like 12, 21, 12. Yes, sir. Yeah. Man, I was, so, you know, we live in the Bible Belt. So, of course, I heard about God. I heard about Jesus. You know, but at that time, you know, I thought there was the Father, Son, Holy Ghost thing at the time, you know. Yeah. So, I was like, man, you know, I know a little bit about it, but uh, I know one thing. I'm going to hell on the full tank <laughs> if this world ends. Got that Willy Wonka ticket straight on the bus to hell. Yeah. <laughs> so I knew that's where I was headed. And man, I was scared for my life, bro. So I'm at the, so I'm the one of the ones, I was a party animal. Let me get that straight. Like, bro, I was always at the parties. Like, uh, <laughs> he, he wouldn't mind me saying this because we live different lives now. But my buddy Jimmy, my cousin Jimmy, uh, you remember Jimmy? Yeah, I remember Jimmy. Yeah, and so uh, 
it was he was twelve at the time. Twelve, he was twelve or fourteen. I can't remember. And man, we went to this house party, bro. This big house party. I said, "Come on, bro, you can come with your big Mike. You coming with your bro, big Mike, bro? I'm gonna show you how to party this up, all right?" Asked him about the story. We opened the door. The whole house stopped. Oh, it's Big Mike. Big Mike's in the building. And I'm dancing on the dance floor. I didn't drink. I'm dancing on the dance floor. I got two gallons of vodka in my hand with the get with the vodka box on my head, dancing with two ladies, living it up, pouring shots to people. <laughs> How old were you at this point? I was about uh 17, 18 at this point. <laughs> Bro. I mean, we used to do, we used to wild out, man. And, uh, <laughs> but, um, now I'm at this party, 2012, everybody's thinking the world's about to end. And so they was living it up. I was like, you know what guys, uh, when my grandma passed away, she was always struggling between the Quran and the Bible, mm-hmm. Quran and the Bible. Now this is funny. note: the Quran says 3% tithe. The Bible says 10%. So when it came to tithing, she chose to cry. <laughs> of course, why not? Why not? And so, um, but when she was on her deathbed, and this is when I say, when I'm ready to change my life, I'm going to have to do what my grandma did. No matter, she had, she, she, she had Jehovah's Witnesses come to the house, the Mormons, uh, the Muslims. She had all those different people that she, my, my grandma was a really good reader. And, uh, but when she was dying on her deathbed, she was screaming at the top of her lungs, Lord Jesus, forgive me of all my sins. Wow. That's awesome. Wow. And, um, and then later on, like I said, a few days later, she passed away. How old was she? She was 63. 63. Yeah, she was 63 when she passed wow. away. She passed away in October of 2011. And so, uh, and so now I'm thinking the world's about to end and I'm going hell in a full tank. So I tell everybody I'm, I'm leaving, I'm going home. So I, I, I kneel down on my, on my couch, at my couch, and I begin to pray for the first time ever. I begin to actually repent. And I say, man, God, show, I say, God, I don't know if you're real or not. I don't know about this whole God devil thing, but I say, you know, if this is what I've been taught and it is true, I say, God, if you're real, show me you're real. I say, I have no idea. I say, I know one thing. I live for the devil long enough. I want to see how greener it is on the other side. And I knew that. And so um, I prayed, and I was like, okay, I feel good. But I'm about to go back to the party. But I fell asleep. And when I woke up that next morning, I woke up with this hunger and desire to read the Bible. And I didn't, I, I didn't know how to read that well at the time because I wasn't paying attention to school and stuff. So I struggled with reading. But I started listening to the Bible on my, on my, on my phone. And at this time, I was working a job. And the next day, you know, I was working three jobs and, you know, provide for myself and stuff because I dropped out of high school, so I had to work. And um, I, I'm sitting there, and I lose all three jobs. So I left the party, prayed that, prayed that night after the party, and now it was time to go wake up hungry for the word. Now it's time to go to work, and I lost all three jobs. Now I'm 18 years old, homeless, sleeping in my car. I'm there for a few weeks in my car. And then it came to the breaking point. I was, uh, my people who I was living with, well, sleeping on the couch, not living with them. They let me used to, they used to let me come shower for the night. And, uh, and then I'm like, Hey man, can I sleep on the couch? You know how it goes. (laughs) And so, uh, I tried that. And then I I got that feeling when you get that feeling, it's time to go. So now I'm sitting on these stairs, 18 years old and I'm crying. 
I said, man, I, I mean, I'm talking about I'm boohooing. Like, man, what am I doing with my life? Uh, I'm a high school dropout. I got nothing for life. I don't know what I'm doing. And I said, God, I pray to you. And this is what the you do to me. You made me lose my jobs. Like, really, bro? Like, the only income I got. And so I started cussing God out. <laughs> I did. I'm just being honest. No. And um, and then it, it, it don't know me to call my crazy aunt, who was the believer. At that time, it was my cousin Jimmy's mom. And I called her. And I'm crying. She said, well, you need to slow down. <laughs> What's going on? And I said, I'm homeless. I got nothing. She said, well, come to Bentonville. I said, I can't really drive to Bentonville at the time. I don't have no gas. I don't got nothing. She said, well, you can make it, make it. I'm going to feed you pizza and wings. I said, Hallelujah. Bro, hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> Enough said. I'm going to find a way. I'm going to find a way. He was showing you he is real. Yes. <laughs> so I zoomed to Bentonville, and, and I get there. And so she gave me a two-week mental vacation. And uh, at that time, Calvary Tabernacle at the time yeah. was uh, having a youth night. And Jimmy was going there. I didn't know Jimmy was ever going there. But Jimmy was going there. Because they, uh, my aunt felt like they had a very good structure in the youth group. And at the time, Pastor Chantry was the youth pastor. Quick and, question, was, was he going to Bentonville High at the time? Yes, he was going to Bentonville High at the time. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's how they connected through the yeah. kids at the high school. Okay. So, um, so they was having the youth night. And uh, Paul Price was preaching that night. So my very first evangelist wow. ever was Paul Price. Pretty good one to start on. <laughs> So he preached, and while he was preaching, we didn't know each other. He was giving me a hard time while he was preaching. <laughs> you were probably smiling the whole time. Well, uh, no, not like that. <laughs> I was mean mugging, okay? So, but I went to, this is why I went to the church service. Jimmy said it's going to be basketball and pizza. <laughs> I remember that story. Yeah, so it's going to be basketball and pizza. And then I was like, bro, they got to be girls <laughs> at the church. I said, the church always got fine girls. <laughs> That's why I went. And then Paul Price was there, and we had a great night. Mm. But when I walked in that building, I felt something that I never felt before in my life. Wow. I was like, I kept asking myself, what is this feeling? What? I never, like... Of course, I thought they were crazy. They were speaking in tongues. And I was taught that speaking in tongues was of the devil. That's what my mom and stepdad always said. I was taught that. And I was like, oh, this is kind of weird. But I can't deny this feeling. Mm. Like, I felt I felt the peace. I felt something, like, trying to draw me into it. And I was like, dude, what is this? And I was like, whoa, I couldn't shake the feeling. I was trying to act like I was tough, but I couldn't shake it. Yeah. And then literally, I turned around, to Pastor Chantry asked me for a Bible study. And I was like, can I get baptized? I have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> wow. At this time, I asked him about it. This is crazy. And I said, can I get baptized? He said, well, let's have a Bible study first. So we play basketball. We have a good time. We talking trash, eating pizza. It's fun. We had a great time. So later on, I get a Bible study with Pastor Chantry. So February 26, 2012, I got baptized in Jesus' name. Amen. And I was still kind of iffy about this Holy Ghost thing. And this is a cool story, too. Uh, it was right when Elder Dean was still alive. And uh, Pastor Bishop Dean, at the time he was pastor, he called all the men to the front. I'm like, I'm 18. I'm a man. <laughs> you know. So I go to the front. This is a few weeks later. So I'm connected to Elder Dean and uh, Rusty Newman. I'm connected to the two men. And Bishop 
well, Pastor Gene at the time, he was talking about something random. And but at that time I was like, all right, God, that this Holy Ghost thing is real. I want it. I want like this is what I'm thinking. I want it all right now. Like yeah. God, I'm giving, I'm giving you my all. I want everything. And while Bishop was up there talking about something crazy, like not crazy, but something that had no like what was going on when, when me and God was talking about. I broke out speaking in tongues. It's <laughs> amazing. Pastor Chantry saw, and this is time, you know, I'm in shape at this time. I'm not 315 pounds, Mike. I'm like 260 buff Mike at this time. <laughs> I throw Pastor Chantry in the air. <laughs> it was like, bro, I got the Holy Ghost. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. <laughs> but I'm going to backtrack one step and uh, I'm going to move forward. So right before I get baptized, <laughs> right before I get baptized, I say, Jimmy, I'm gonna get baptized, and but I'm gonna go wild out one last time. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> before I went and got baptized, I went to the club, I danced my little heart out. <laughs> I said, this is my last time ever here. And then after I got baptized, February 26, I never looked back. Mm. And so then the journey began. I came to my first church camp here at Redfield. I remember that year. Yeah, I came with my dreadlocks. Yes. <laughs> you won camp for the year I that won. year, too. No, it was the next year. Oh, next it year. was the next year I won it. Yeah. But my first year was when I got my, well, my first year here is when I got my call to God in my life. Wow. Was here at Redfield. That's crazy thinking about it now. Wow. So um, I was like, okay, God, I want uh, you to use me. Use me, God. And this is how I want you to use me. Uh, I want to pray somebody through the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. I never thought I was going to be a preacher. Never thought. That was the last thing on my mind. I was like, I'm not going to get up there and talk to folks. You're crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I said, I just want to pray people through the Holy Ghost. Yeah. That's all I want to do. So my first person that I ever helped, you know, how we talk about it, you know, helped lead somebody through the Holy Ghost was Nick. And uh, I told Nick a little story about a salary cap. Because he understood football. I said, in football, they put a salary cap on the players to say, hey, this is it. We can't give you no more money. But I say, sometimes we put a salary cap on, a salary cap on God, and we limit him in our life. But I said, God wants you to have unlimited abundance in your life. Yeah. So let's take the salary cap off God, and let's give him everything. Mm. And, bro, he raised his hands. And I was like, yeah, Jesus, name. <laughs> you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, yeah. I'm new. You're passionate. Yeah. Man. I said, in Jesus' name, he received the Holy Ghost. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and Pastor Shanta told me, don't shake people, don't force them. You know, he told me that stuff. But with my voice, I was like, in Jesus' name, <laughs> received the Holy Ghost. And I laid my hands on him. And we prayed just for like a few seconds. And I was like, that's it. That's the power of God. My goodness. And next you know, he started speaking in tongues. Wow, Boy, awesome. I was like, dude. And that was it. I felt like I had the power. <laughs> As Brother Mark Morgan would say, uh, when, whenever he uh, felt one of his prophetic uh, utterances to tell somebody something, he said that the man of God is now here. <laughs> I have right. walking around like man of God here. Come here. If you want to receive the Holy ghost, uh, here I am. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. So then <clears throat> later that day, uh, the evening service, uh, they, I guess a couple of kids saw me praying with Nick and they got the Holy ghost. 
So they have this really awkward kid who's been trying to get the Holy Ghost. And it was like, man, Brother Mike. I said, bro, I'm not Brother Mike. I'm Mike, bro. Like, I'm not a pastor. They was like, you're not? I said, no, bro. Like, I got dreadlocks and everything. Like, <laughs> See, I, I, I didn't come to know you until after the dreadlocks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. pictures of the dreadlocks. I think that was my first year nursing here at camp when you, you guys That's were here. That's crazy. So wild I walked up to the kid. I was like, hey, you know, they was doing their thing. I was like, oh, everybody stop. I said, you want the Holy Ghost? I just got done praying, Nick. The man of God is here. <laughs> I said, bro, you want to receive the Holy Ghost? He said, I do. Oh. I was like, bro, that's awesome. We already there. I said, just worship him. And when you worship him, I'm going to lay my hands on you. Praise God. Yeah. I said, when I lay my hands on you, I said, the Bible says that the gift of the Holy Ghost is going to fall on you. I'm doing this. I'm love serious. It. I love it. And, uh... And he was like, okay, I'm ready. I said, now praise him. I said, say thank you, Jesus. He said, thank you, Jesus. I said, now receive me the Holy Ghost. <laughs> and I laid my hands on him, and he started speaking in tongues, yeah, and everybody yeah. started jumping, and it was really cool. That's awesome. And, and wow. it was really cool, man. And I was like, man, this is cool. And then, then as, as weird camp is, you know how weird it is, when everybody's filled with the Holy Ghost, Somebody said, Brother Mike, I got a word for you. Mm. <laughs> but it was cool, though. It was, it was cool. Uh, he, he said, man, Mike, I just really feel that God is calling you to be in the ministry. I said, nah, bro, you got the wrong guy. I said, because you don't know me. Yeah. You don't know where I come from. God can't use me because where I come from. I said, this is holy speaking in tongues thing. It's cool. And I felt like at the moment I was high and mighty and I had the power. <laughs> But I said, God is not calling me into no ministry. And so um, then he came back and told me it again. And then that whole camp, and that, and you know, when we had camp, you know how it is. You got to find your camp girlfriend. And mm. That whole day, I, I wasn't even trying to talk to nobody. I was really dealing with that. And God really was dealing with me. And I went back to the dorm, and I just cried. And I was like, man, God, you can't use me to do that. Yeah. Like, there's no way. I'm broken. I'm hurting. I, you know, I was like, I got so much hate in my heart. This is what I'm telling them. I got so much hate in my heart. How can I love somebody? Because I never felt what love felt like. Yeah. I don't know what that feels like. So what do you mean that you're going to, now don't get me wrong, I can hide behind a good smile. I learned that in life, how to hide behind a good smile. Mm -hmm. But inside, bro, I was broken and hurting. Definitely here at church camp. I was still kind of new in, in everything, right? So then a, then a real minister came one day. Uh, I think it was the last service on a Thursday. And he prayed for me. And he said, Brother Mike, he said, God has his hand on you. Mm. And I was like, how? While he was praying for me, I was crying. I didn't ask him that. But my mom, like, how can God have his hand on me when I am so broken? I don't know what it feels like to have a father. I don't know what it feels like to know true love from a parent. How can somebody say, quote, unquote, have his hand on me when I feel the way that I feel? I'm happy I'm helping parent people through the Holy Ghost, but yeah, you know, I'm still messed up inside. And, uh, sorry. <laughs> I'm going to share a scripture with you right now that was brought to my mind. Go ahead. It's in Isaiah 40, chapter 43. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, he... And he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. 
I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. Wow. When thou pass through the waters, I will be with you. Wow. So he knew. He formed you, bro. bro. He created you. He was with you the whole time. The whole time. He's the father that you never had. Yeah. And you say that, then he started putting people in my life. Yeah. Like the Boyds. Man, I love those folks. Yeah. Kevin Boyd, that's his own testimony to say. But understand that, man, where he comes from and what he did for me. Bro, he took me, wrapped me up underneath his wings. He trusted me around his daughters. Yeah. I'm an outsider, bro. Yeah. Coming from the streets. And this man, and I'm going to... Can I be I thought, real? I thought they'd adopted you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pretty you're, much. So. You're their, you're yeah. their son. That's, this is honestly the first time I've ever heard this story. I've always wondered like, how, how we, your, what, what was your connection to the Boyds? Because yeah. I, I guess I've never asked you before. Yeah, so like when I first started coming to the church, and everybody knows Courtney. <laughs> she's she's, she's awesome. Courtney. She's awesome. You know, she's a little weird. She's weird, Courtney. You know, it's Courtney. That's how Courtney is. So me and Courtney, we came really... At the time, Kayla was really young. So... um but we still was cool. But me and Courtney, you know, we was, she was my sister, man. It's really how to put it. And she they, she took me in first, and then the family came later, her and Caleb. And then Mama Boyd came along. I started calling her Mama Boyd. Then it just became Mama. <laughs> and then Pops, Kevin Boyd, he became Pops, man. He started teaching me all kind of stuff. Like, I knew a few things, like how to change a tire and stuff. Because, you know, you, I learned that as I went along. But he just, man... He just reiterated that stuff. He taught me how to change a tire. He taught me how to shave. I'm 19 years old learning how to shave, if you will, from a white man. (laughs) Can I just be honest? Yeah. In my mind, my mind is blown, you know? I'm like, man, my dad's supposed to be teaching me this stuff. But I'm learning this from a complete stranger who loves me genuinely just because, you know, he, he accepted me as one of his. And that's how I felt with the body of Christ. And that's how I started learning the love of God through Kevin and Vicky and, and Kayla and Courtney. They showed me what it felt like to be an outsider being wrapped up in love. Yeah, there's if there's one, uh, I was explaining him, Jasher, to you, how you've got such a big heart. If there's one mm-hmm. definition to that family, they've all got really big hearts. Bro, big hearts. They uh, would give you their shirt off their back. Yeah, I, I think like, I've only hung out with them maybe five times and that's usually when we had hyc stuff like that yeah but uh like kevin sometimes when i get on him because he has such a big heart sometimes yeah he picks up strangers off the street bring them to the house let them take a shower buys the guy a bus ticket so he can get home that's what the guy told me yeah i was like dude that's crazy yeah he's like i know i know but i just really felt it in my heart to take care of the man and then gave him put money in his pocket that's awesome. He does that all the time. Wow. Like, <laughs> this, this is how much I love Kevin Boyd. This is what he did for me. So I'm about to start evangelizing. And so I had, I had, a, I had an old beat-up truck. He said, all right, Mike, sell the truck, and I'm going to give you this car. And I said, man, Pops, I really need a vehicle. I was going to uh, Harrison to have, preach my first ever revival. <laughs> It was awesome. Preached my first ever revival in Harrison. And uh, I was like, man, Pops, I need, I need a vehicle. This man bought a vehicle and gave it to me. That's awesome. Wow. I called that car Hallelujah Honda. 
I said, this is going to be my preaching mobile. <laughs> yeah, it was a Honda Civic. Yeah. <laughs> no, a Honda Accord. Honda Accord. Yeah, it was a nine, It was a 2000. It was a 2000 Honda Accord. That's awesome that he did yeah. that. He, that's how big of a heart he has. Wow. And I learned that from him. I, I learned how to work hard from him. So for years, we used to mow the churchyard together, me and him. And sometimes, like, they had other men that help every once in a while. But 98% of the time, it was him on the church all by himself. Yeah. And so then he said, all right, Mikey, I got to put you to work. So I, I started going to the, with him and with the churchyard. So for like the five years of my beginning stages of there, every Saturday, me and Pops was out there mowing the churchyard. And that's how I started learning about serving the kingdom. Yeah, absolutely. Man, going back to what you said about um, the stranger showing you love that you never really felt mm-hmm. or seen before. Just amazing how the word of God is still so applicable to our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul said in Ephesians chapter two and first one says that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants mm-hmm. of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye some ye who sometimes were far off or made nigh by the blood of Christ. Now therefore ye are no more strangers wow. and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Man. God brought you in and gave you family. Yeah. You were not a stranger anymore. You're the household of God. He's like, you're my, you're my child. Yeah. And, and, and you just started putting family around you, bro. And the church did the same thing too, man. Yeah. That's what I love. Like, when we left, because we've just been, we've been uh, at, at Centerton now for a good month, and I text Pastor Chantry. I said, you know, when you first move out your parents' house, <laughs> you're like, yes, I'm out of here. You know, I can open my own refrigerator. You know, I, they can, nobody can't tell me what I can and cannot eat. Yeah. <laughs> but then you're like, hey, mom, dad, can I come over? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I tell them that in the text message. I see, and you go visit your parents and you hang around too long. Reality is because you yeah. miss them. And I, I miss I'm, I miss Calvary Church a whole lot. It's well, there's grown. so many people. He, you know, Pastor Chantry, Bishop Dean, they were another father set yeah. of father figures in life, along with you know Brother Boyd. Yeah, they were your role model. They like you know you looked up to them. I looked up your, to them. You yeah, know, and still do. You know, and uh, Kevin Emhart too. He came along. Yeah. And he was man. He's been a big role in my life too. And, and I say that God put these different people in my life because you know one I need them. I, bro, I was hardcore, hard hearted. And God chiseled it away, mm. slowly but surely. Kept chiseling at my heart to soften my heart so I could feel that love from people. Not, not just feel that, but now I'm able to re- reciprocate that. And so in, in a good way, because I've seen men, real men, that stood there, took care of their family. You know what I'm saying? Amen. And love on their family, love on them. No one's perfect, don't yeah. get me wrong. Yeah. You know, you see people flaws when you get close to them like that. But you no, know, throughout all that, I've seen them stick together and love each other. Never really disrespected each other. Yeah. Because you know where I come from, they call call each other all kind of harsh names all the time. Yeah. And you know, I've seen these people get upset with each other, but then they show love and grace and mercy. You know, I heard the word sorry. I'm sorry. I was like, who says I'm sorry? Yeah. <laughs> you weak, bro. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I learned real men cry at the yeah, altar. Absolutely. Amen. 
You know, and they cry and they pray over their families. You better have me crying early. Man. <laughs> and you know, man, and I'm a father. Yeah. I got a beautiful wife. Beautiful family. Man. Beautiful family. I wanted to say one thing to also um, in regards to your family. And we could edit this out if you don't like it. That's fine. Um, going what you went through mm-hmm. with your stepdad. Yeah. And him treating you like you were not a part of his family. Mm-hmm. You know, when you married your wife, she had a, a, a son from yes. a previous relationship. And I've never seen you treat that child with anything but fatherly love. Mm. And I commend you for that, man. Thank you. You're an amazing dad to all three of those All kids. three of them, yeah. God's blessed you, bro. Thank you. I tell them all the time. <laughs> you can probably edit this one out. I say all the time. I say I've handed out whoopings equally. <laughs> <laughs> No favoritism. Yeah, yeah, no favorites. No, but to to that, and I felt like, um, obviously, you know, I saw my wife. I saw how beautiful she was. And, of course, I had to accept that she had a son. And after we started dating, you know, and, and we getting together more and more, and I'm around uh, my son more and more, uh, Tucker, more and more, um, he, uh, <laughs> this is before I thought about, Married her, he called me dad. Oh man, wow, yeah, that's awesome. And she didn't know what to do, <laughs> she was like, Oh my goodness, we're only dating, you know. And I was like, Come here, son, yeah, I already know in my mind what I'm about to do, right? I'm about that, like, I'm about to marry this lady <laughs> in my mind. That's what I was thinking. So, uh, I'm just to, not to jump off track, but mm-hmm. I was smart with it. I knew I was going to Africa for a month, they do a missions trip. And I said, man, I can't let nobody, I can't let this one slip through the cracks like I let all the other ones. So before I left, I proposed to her. There you go. There we go. <laughs> I said, because I say, you know, when, when I feel like when a woman freshly gets proposed to, she says, yes, you're the only thing on her mind. So I was like, I'm going to be gone for a month. So how can I make sure I'm on her mind all the time? <laughs> Lock it down. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but what I'm saying is this, uh, go back to what you said that um, it really showed me about how when I was in that situation as a stepson, how do I want my stepfather to treat me? Yeah. And coming from the negative side of it, I said, nah, man, I'm going to show this kid the most love he ever felt in his life. Yeah. And man, I, I love my son. He's my yeah. son. He's your son. Like, and not, not not on a spiritual note, one day um, we were saying our prayer. Um, I don't. I'm not gonna sit here and say we do it every night, but you know. But one night, specifically one night, we we're saying prayer, and he just said, "You know what, Dad? I love you." That's awesome. And I was like, "Man!" But that moment right there, when he did that, uh, I had to walk away because <laughs> I was crying. Yeah. But then God showed me, and said. This is how I love you. The love that you're showing to him, you know, this is how I'm showing you love. Yeah. Because, you know, ultimately, you know, he sacrificed his life for us. Yeah. Because, you know, we're not technically, you know, how to scripturally, his people were the Jewish people, you know, and he came and did what he did for them. And I'm a Gentile. Once again, we're outsiders. But he loved us so much that he's distilled. He died for us, and he and he loves us, even though that we're Gentiles. Yeah, even right. though he's not my biological son, he's my son. Yeah. yeah. 
and I love him just like my like he's my son. <clears throat> and so when the ooh, when the Bible says this, when um when we're adopted to his sonship. Mm-hmm. You know, and back in that time, you, you couldn't adopt nobody when you was if you was poor, you had to be rich to adopt somebody because you had to pay all their debts that they owed, all their family debts to be owed. And so now therefore, when you pay all those debts, now that you could adopt that person and then you could put your ring on that person to represent the power that they have. And so when God died for us, he paid the price for us. He did every debt. He paid every mm. debt for us. And so now he adopted us into his sonship. Yeah. And now that, that same power and that same love that he has, we have now. You know, and so in the same resemblance to my stepson, although I can technically pay no debts off, but he's, he's my, I adopted him as Christ has adopted me. And I love him. And I would, and I, man, I would die for him. That's my son. Yeah. Even though he's a little pasty white kid, <laughs> you got it that one But it's funny. <laughs> Isn't that crazy how innocent kids are. He he's white. Yeah, you're black. He's like dad, dad, dad. Mm. He, he never saw. Color. He never saw color. Dad. He saw love. Yes, he knew I was there when he was sick, and he would call me when he was sick, and I was like, mm. dude, that's crazy. Mm. Like. Like one time, um, we was dating. She lived with her sister, so we had somebody at the house. You know, <laughs> I gotta say that. <laughs> but he was sick one night, and he was crying and crying and crying. And uh, this is how I knew, bro. Like this was my son. Uh, he didn't want to eat anything. He was just crying. And I went to the house, and I said, "Come here, son." He he curled up in my arm, and I fed him his soup, and I laid him in the bed, and I left and went back home. That was it. And I was like, man, how many times God picked us up? Amen. I can fed us our soup. What you're displaying <laughs> to your son now is it's it's is it's God's grace and his his love allowing you to have this opportunity to display to your now, you know, uh uh stepson mm-hmm. the love of God or the love that God showed you from ten years old, you know, all the way until you what you met uh the, the boy boys. family yeah. and then you got to see from my definition true love from the boyd family they exemplified that and bible says that love covers a multitude of sins yeah i mean the greatest impact on humanity and uh, the the human life experience is always going to be love yeah i mean from what you went through from such a young age and the beating verbally that you had and physically, I mean, to a lot of people, you're, you, you don't even know what the word love is or means or anything that, that that's a, that's a foreign word to you. Yeah. And it was, you know, when you got to experience on display, God's love through the power of the spirit, the Holy ghost, uh, God, it's like, the father was putting his character, his attributes in mm-hmm. you, how to love the son. Yeah. And now you're now stepson. It, it, it blows my mind. And also, and even to take this deeper, right? People don't see God first. They see you first. Yeah. Right. And so a newcomer coming to church, they see how much you love them first before they see how much Jesus loves. Them. Yeah. And I would say them loving me the way they loved me is probably 100% why I'm still here. 
Yeah. yeah. Like, no one turned their back on me. Even when I made my mistakes, they still loved me. Yeah. And through all that love, I saw love from God. Mm. And sometimes when newcomers come to church, they do things because they're from different backgrounds and different yeah. cultures. They might do things a little weird and a little different. And sometimes we, we get, we get you know, in our comfort zone is too weird. And we turn our backs a little bit. Mm. And then we forget to show them the love that they need. Yeah. And sometimes that's why they don't stick around. Mm-hmm. But when you love somebody, like I was loved, mm. 100% of the time, that's what keeps people. It's not about the flashy light sometimes. And I'm not saying anything against that. It's not about the cool background stage. Preach it. You know, it's not about all that stuff sometimes. It's about one, one preaching the word, preaching the truth, and loving people. Yeah. And then what's the famous saying? No one cares how much you know till they know how much you care. And that's a true statement to anybody. They don't care if you're black, white, Asian, whatever it is. Someone walks into your church, you need to show them unconditional love. One of my favorite things my aunt always told me, because when I became a believer, I used to struggle with my, my mom and them. Mom and them. <laughs> she said, love them where they are first. And then while you're loving them where they are, you are going to love them where they need to be. Yeah. Mm. And the key thing is love. Love them first where they're at. Yeah. Yeah, think about it. They don't know nothing about how to dress, how to speak properly, anything about the word. They're coming from who knows from where, where they're coming from. But when you love on somebody unconditionally, that's what keeps them in the church. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, one of the greatest impacts just in life in general is not the gifts or the talents that you have. I mean, they make such a little impact, but the love mm-hmm. that somebody shows I, mean, I to to an extent, I would not care about what gifts you have, what gifts you may have, what not. Uh, but when you can love somebody, mm-hmm. I want to hang around you all the time. I don't care if you can prophesy all this kind of all these. Yeah. If you can love others, you mm-hmm. say you love God. So now display it to others. You love yeah. God. You love His power, His gifts, and all these wonderful things that God's. You know, he does, and he's promised to us, but can you love others? Mm-hmm. True impact is when you can you learn to love others. Yeah. The relationship of love that you have with God, you and him, this love relationship that y'all have together, now have that with somebody else. else and show mm-hmm. them, tell them about how much God has loved you and taken you out and helped you when you needed money and all this kinds of stuff, mm-hmm. just like a good father would do. Yeah. I mean, you, you, Earth of fathers, you know, who are evil in nature, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, mm-hmm. how much more your heavenly father? Yeah. So that's good. So uh, I think that's all we've got for today. Thank you, Mike, big Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Thank uh, you for having me. Awesome session. Man. I enjoyed it. Thank you for sharing your testimony and pouring your heart out. Great discussion. I appreciate y'all. Thank y'all so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to today's episode. We look forward to another Kingdom Conversation with you.